Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, welcome to the Non-Fanners Club. Uh, uh, Ramey, that's an interesting image of thinking about how people think about work. Um, we're going to do a few things tonight. You're going to see a little 20-minute video clip from a series called For the Life of the World. Uh, this was produced out of, um, well, by several people, actually, and it's a seven-part series. You're going to see the first show of seven. You can uh, find the rest of it online, and uh, we think it introduces the theme of faith and work in a pretty effective way, showing the value, uh, some of the values that we're talking about. And then uh, Jeff White of Chick-fil-A and I are going to do a little interview like we would do at a chapel. And then that'll be followed, you can see the mics up here, by a time where you can ask us questions. So keep eating, but watch the video. Here we go. Dear everybody, I have a confession to make. I am sick of how we Christians deal with the world. Okay, 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 maybe that's too harsh. Dear everybody, I think we need a new perspective, a wider view of what it means to be in the world, but not of it. There must be a better way. The pace of modern society is often fast. The beat is sometimes frantic. The need to belong is ever-present. Amy, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that perspective change you were talking about. This is my friend Amy Sherman. She's a researcher and a writer, and she's done a lot of thinking on what it means to be a Christian in the modern world. Strangers in a strange land, all that. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about this. It seems like everywhere you look, it's just a mess. Okay. We've got wars, culture wars, climate change, red state, blue state, you hear what I'm saying? Equality issues. And all we Christians can seem to do is just get caught up in it. And we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, but I'm just not sure anyone really knows what that means. So help me out here, Amy Sherman. Sure. I don't even know where to start. I think your first instinct is right. What if for too long we've been looking at our salvation only as a means of personal atonement? God's plan for all things is a grander story than that. What if there's a bigger question? Like, what is our salvation actually for? That's the key question, right there. Did you hear it? What is our salvation actually for? What is our salvation for? For the life of the world? Amy, I think I need to call you back. There's a title sequence in my front yard. Okay. This is the story of the bigger picture. Evan, welcome to exile. The deeper mystery of faith. 
This is the story of God's mission in the world and our place in it. I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Evan. These are my friends. Evan, what's going on? And this is For the Life of the World, Letters to the Exiles. Amy. Evan, sorry about that. We must have gotten disconnected. No problem. Where were we? We were talking about the purpose of salvation. What's it for? What is our salvation actually for? Okay, yeah. We are to be in the world, but if we look a bit deeper into the issues, we see that Christians view culture and the rest of the world in a us-versus-them mentality, like we're being invaded. We see it play out in three ways. The first response to culture is what my pastor Greg Thompson calls fortification. We put up walls, shut the world out. It's a bunker mentality. The second common response is domination. This approach engages in culture and condemns it and fights against it. This is the culture warrior mentality. Finally, there are the accommodationists, and they're a response to this war mentality. Hey, Ben, what's going on? Come on over. These are the types that engage culture but completely lose their identities. Everybody drinks and smokes. All right, just one beer. To keep the boat from rocking, we jettison the gospel. Jettison the gospel. Jettison the gospel. Jettison the gospel. Okay, so like I said, this is for the life of the world, and I'm Evan Coons. And what we're trying to do here is establish a clear perspective on being in the world, but not of it. So I've rounded up a group of people way smarter than me to help explain it all. Excuse me just one moment while I make another quick phone call. Hello? Dwight. Uh, Hey, Evan, are, are, are we on? Yeah, this is Dwight Gibson. He's the chief exploration officer for his company, The Exploration Group, in Philadelphia. People commission him to explore the world and create new ideas for their businesses and organizations. Dwight, I found these all over my yard. Oh, it's a Chinese lantern. Yeah, see what you can find out from me by the end of the episode. Uh, how, how long's an episode? Oh, hey, somebody's here, okay? Listen, I gotta go. Now, for the sake of time, enjoy meeting Stephen Grable through the stylings of my voiceover. Okay, Dr. Stephen Grable is a theologian and scholar. What's up, man? And the editor of the Stewardship Study Bible. Good to see you. He has degrees in philosophy and political science with an MTS, a THM, and a PhD from Calvin Theological Seminary. He's written and edited books on Protestant social thought, Abraham Kuyper, ethics and economics. In other words, the dude knows his stuff. Hey, I got you something. Oh, And when he's not researching theology at Acton Institute, a think tank in Grand Rapids, Michigan, he's bringing me books and sitting in my library. Signs of Jonas. And sometimes my art studio. Fortification, domination, accommodation. Man, there's a lot to those ideas. Yeah. I think we need to unpack them a little bit. What do you think? I would really appreciate that, actually. All right. You know, I kind of discerned a, a common theme running throughout all of those ideas. And basically, it's urgency. Urgency, urgency. If we don't act now... We're gonna end up in some crisis, 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 and something awful, irreversible even, is gonna happen, but but, um, what we have to do is actually take a totally different view of culture. Deep 
deep-rooted cultural change takes about a generation, which in biblical times is measured by 70 years. Sure. And I don't think very many of us have the patience for that today. Mm -hmm. We need a whole different perspective on the matter. Are you listening to me? Yes. No, what? I'm sorry, I'm totally... No, sorry. This is something that we forget all the time. And we just fail to remember this, that we're strangers in a strange land. Welcome to exile. Welcome, not home. Ugh. We're all strangers here, and we're all at points estranged from God, but we're trying to find our way home in accordance with his purpose. That's too abstract. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I'm interested in. How do we do that? You know what, Evan? The best way to understand exile is to kind of go back to, to the scriptures and what Jeremiah was talking to the children of Israel about in Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 is the prophet's final instructions for Israel, as well as a promise of restoration, before the Babylonians came to take them into captivity. It was a routing of the land, and Jeremiah 29.7 is the key. And what do you think he told them to do? Seek the welfare of the city into which I've placed you, and in seeking that welfare, you will find your own welfare. Try that one on for size. What this means is the way we evaluate everything, our success, our purpose, all that big picture stuff changes because it's all about the welfare of the places into which we've been placed, those cities. There's a little bit of me that just feels like it's like we're accommodating the city. I can see how it might seem that way, but it wasn't Jeremiah's intention for the children of Israel to sort of just blend in to the Babylonians. Remember what Jeremiah does before they go into exile? He buys a plot of land, gets the deed to it, and he buries the deed. He buries the deed, not because he'll come back and dig it up later, he'll he'll be dead. But he does know that there will be a return from exile. He has hope in the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. And so he's unafraid to enter into that Babylonian captivity because he has faith that God will realize his purposes, even if this present generation is not around to witness it. Huh, let put some things in perspective. Maybe what God asked of the Israelites in captivity, he's asking of us today. Just like John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and the future coming of the kingdom, so we are pointing to a new reality that's often to the future, even if it's somewhat present right now. We're not the Messiah. We're, we're people that prepare the way. Are we willing to do that hard work? For, for something we might not even see? For something that we might not even ourselves be able to envision. stand in the midst of exile while the whole place seems to burn? Can we allow ourselves to do the humble work of sowing 
and tilling so that another can come along and reap? Can we be so bold as to declare that that work is preparing the way of the Lord? Well, the key though is like understanding what we mean by the way of the Lord. And that's something I don't. I was hoping you'd say that, come on. I want to say just one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Oikonomia. Exactly how do you mean? There's a great future in Oikonomia. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Shh, enough said. That's a deal. It's getting late. I have to go. Okay. So, to understand the way of the Lord, maybe we need a fresh set of terms, a new language. A new language, which is really an old language. Oikonomia, house management, stewardship, sea economy. Economy, from the Greek oikonomia, the management of a household an arrangement or mode of operation. Okay, okay, so there's God's plan, our part in God's plan, God's house, our house management, God's purpose for the whole kit and caboodle, and our work in the nitty gritty. Okay, okay, so let's call God's big purpose, the plan for his whole household of creation, let's call that oikonomia. And all the specific areas and modes of operation, the ones that he's designed us to work in, you know, like our families, our jobs, our governments and charities, schools, institutions, let's call those our economies, our house management. This is getting too abstract. I need to think of a way to harmonize these ideas. Harmonize. Music. This, this is a ukulele. You can't play this like you play a, a xylophone. A xylophone has its own way of making sound its own unique patterns and techniques, its own mode of operation. Let's call it its own economy. You can't play it like a ukulele. You have to play it like a xylophone. And how a xylophone works might be different than say how like a, I don't know, a banjo works. Because a banjo has its own economy. Or like a trombone. Or like an upright bass. And all of these instruments, they have their own rules, their own economies, and they can make beautiful music by themselves. But what if they're meant to be played together? What if they're meant for something bigger? Something like a song. This is God's plan for all of creation. This is how we see God's activity in the world, and this is what we'll call Oikonomia. 
second. What is the actual song anyway? beginning a triune god was tripping and flipping and dancing and spilling all over himself and he said let there be light gift darkness gift earth sky animals it was all pure gift but in all that goodness there was nothing in the material world that could reciprocate there was nothing that could respond to god and then enter a gift better than anything else crafted in god's own image with his own breath crowned with glory and honor enter us and in that same abundance, he blessed us and he said, Go explore my world, unwrap the gift of my creation. Bless the world with your own gifts. But then there was that tree. And a funny thing about that tree, it wasn't a gift. And wouldn't you know, we took it anyway. And there was death and confusion and it's like we forgot what life was all about. Being gift givers. And then taking what God didn't offer, we severed our relationship with him and all creation suffered. Then there came that day when God gave us another gift. God himself becomes a man and the gift he offers to the father is himself. And all of creation is in tow behind him. Once and for all, he restores the way of our purpose. He restores our priesthood. We can once again offer to God our lives, our work, our knowledge, everything. We join our gifts with Christ to offer the world to the Father in love and for the life of the world. And that is the purpose of our salvation. That's what it's for, for the life of the world. Hello? Hey, Evan, this is Dwight. Oh, hey, Dwight, you're right on time. Hey, listen. The story behind these Chinese lanterns, it's really beautiful. I made something for you. Take this and enjoy. Thanks, Dwight. Something to think about. What does it take to transform a city? Uh -huh. Think about that, huh? okay? Okay. Okay, hey, get a run. Bye-bye. We'll see you. Transform a city. single sky lantern, rice paper, a bamboo frame, a bit of wax, a wick, all built from stuff of the earth, but made for fire, made for the heavens, made in order to be let go. Who are we to be in exile? I mean, how are we to be in exile? Are we to hide, to fight, to blend in? Or can we, even in the everyday things, learn to see our work as a gift to heaven by working for the life of the world, for the good of the city of exile into which we've been sent? For all our work in this world is made of stuff of the earth. Our families, our labor, our governments and charities and schools and art forms, all of it takes place here below, but all of it is pointed toward heaven. All of it is, in a sense, holy. Imagine if all of us offered our work for the good of the cities around us. How might we be able to change those cities? 
What would it look like if we only understood that our humble work is a heavenward offering? What would our city of exile look like then? Dear everybody, the psalmist writes, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Now listen to the words of Jeremiah. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is our economic responsibility in our families, our work, in our communities, in every broken place. Each of these economies is designed to work as a humble part of God's oikonomia, His economy of all things. All of our work is designed to bring flourishing to the world, to be an act of priesthood, an act of blessing, an offering. Signs of Jonas. This priesthood was our original calling. It has been restored to us through the gracious blood of Jesus. His song in the world is gift. We are called to play this song in all we do. So go, live in your true nature with the work of your hands, your everyday work, and the words of your mouth, the very breath that you breathe. Bless and sanctify the world. Make it a gift and offer it back to God for His glory and for the life of the world. Yours, Evan. Well, as I said, that was uh, part one of seven shows that are part of that series um, that are designed to discuss uh, faith and work. And so what I thought we would do in the second part of our time together is to um, interview someone who's given his life to his work and has worked hard to integrate faith and work together. One of the problems that we have in the church is that many pastors don't quite know how to interact with and talk about uh, the work that people do, which is where they spend the bulk of their time. And what we do is we create a world that is actually a reflection of, of a secular kind of thinking where there's the sacred stuff we do at church and then there's the stuff we do with most of our life. And that division is really uh, a problem because everything that we do is supposed to be honoring to God. When we were created in Genesis 1, the first exhortation besides multiplying and filling the earth was to exercise dominion over it, to have a good, to be good managers of the creation or the garden into which God had placed us. And so to talk about the meaningfulness of work and the integration of faith in that work where your work has intrinsic value because you're doing something that serves people um, is an important way of thinking about how you go about your work because most people when they think about work think about what work does for them as opposed to how work gives. And so what I want to do is invite uh, Jeff White up to come and join us here at the table and uh, he's got a little uh, video for us to see first and then uh, I'm going to interview him for about 15 minutes or so and then we'll take about 15 minutes worth of questions and uh, and then we'll be wrapping up so uh, 
hopefully they've got the video queued up and uh, we'll take a look at it now. We, we cook, but we don't just serve sandwiches. We serve meals made from good ingredients, warm and cared for from the time they're cooked to the moment they're served. We prepare, but not just a meal, an experience. Everything we do is with the greatest of care. A clean table, a pair of pickles laid on a bun just so. Our love is wrapped up in the little things. The in-between things that aren't said, but are always felt. We believe with all our hearts that kindness is a higher calling. We want to know people, to nourish them. We love seeing individuals, teams, and communities brighten lives by caring for others. We build on a legacy of one man's pioneering spirit, his faithful stewardship, his vision that being your best requires hard work, that local ownership isn't just unique, it's the best way to do business, and that giving generously can help good to grow. We are more than a restaurant. We're a home. Where the hugs are just as tender as the chicken, the smiles just as sweet as the lemonade, and the conversations just as nourishing as the meal. For those we serve, neighbors. Bread. Family. We are Chick-fil-A. 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 And uh, you thought uh, it's just about cows that say eat more chicken. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, what you're seeing is a reflection of a value about uh, how people serve in very common ways and uh, that makes you think about why you do what you do. Or let me put it another way, when you go out to churches and you're preaching to people in the pews and they're asking why God has me here and what is it that I'm supposed to be doing with my life. You're supposed to have something you can say to them that is more than merely saying you have, you know, you're designed to avoid hell or uh, you're designed to, uh, to think about one day when you'll be taken from this earth. No, God has you here for a purpose. And so that's what we're going to talk about with Jeff. So Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, about um, how you became a chicken man, okay? Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I'll try to condense it down to 20 minutes. Okay. Uh, no. Um, well, first of all, it is an honor to be here tonight, and I, you know, I've seen that video um, many times, and um, it still moves me because um, I can't believe that I am a Chick-fil-A operator. It's just one of the best things that's happened to me in my life. It's part of my testimony um, because it allows me to be uh, who I am and who I was created to be. Um, so I wanted to be a policeman, a Dallas policeman. My dad was one for almost 30 years. I grew up here in Dallas, uh, off Jim Lear and I-30. And um, God 
close the door on that, um, which is another story. Um, so I started working at the restaurant. I was majoring in criminal justice at UT at Arlington and um, answered an ad to be a, um, a, a busser at Chili's by Ranger Stadium at that time. So I started busing tables uh, for Chili's and uh, a year after that, I uh, became the first male waiter that Chili's ever had and just took off the restaurant business from there, got into management and traveled with, around with them and, uh, and then went to uh, La Madeline for about four years. I came to know the Lord um, one year before I left La Madeline. So the folks at La Madeline saw Jeff White one way and then the next day he's totally different. What happened to you? And all I could say, there's a song, seventh, I forgot the name of the group, just say Jesus. <laughs> I, had no, I didn't have much more knowledge, certainly not any wisdom. So I just said Jesus. That's what happened. And, I, and, and that was a Sunday morning. Uh, on a Monday morning, um, I, I went to work for my first day as a Christian. Um, before I went to work, I went to um, Marta, I think was the name of it, to buy a Bible. <laughs> so, um, and that's, that's, that's what happened there um, at La Madeline. So I work a year or so, and my immediate supervisor, I was a general manager at the time, told me to quit talking about Jesus so much. Um, and I wasn't, you know, beating people in the head with the Bible or anything, but because I, I had a lot of different folks working for me. So I have a very tender heart for people with different lifestyles, and I've always been a one about unity. Um, so I said, I'm not going to stop being who I am, but I understand what you're saying. I, I'm under the authority of my boss, and I definitely respect that. Um, even Jesus, when he stayed in Jerusalem to preach, his parents said, you know, let's go. He goes, yes. So even Jesus is under authority of his parents. So I believe in authority. Um, so I'm driving down the, the road one day with God, what do you want? me to do it in La Madeline. You know, I can't go to church very much. So I'm going to work more on Sundays. I'm driving down the road and the cows on the table were on a billboard. The cows you used to have there. No, no, no. What is Chick-fil-A? <laughs> you know, and uh, there wasn't such thing as the internet. So actually I had to call on the phone and say, what's up with this? And I don't know if, you know, uh, he said, well, you can actually own your own business. I go, I don't have the money for that. And that's a totally different story too. Um, it doesn't cost a lot of money because I was just a regular guy, you know, from, from Old East Dallas. And um, they liked me for some reason, and they liked my wife because after they decided to like me, they go, it's, uh, let's, let's see how you guys interact in the interview process. It was like an eight-hour thing with us. It took them five months to hire, to bring me on as an, as an owner, and they liked me, and they take their time. So... That's how I, the, the cows, I really love the cows. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh, that raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. 
Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. So, so talk about how you try, how you view your work and, and uh, how you try and make your business a reflection of the values that you have. Yeah. Um, well, that would take, a, I, I tried to, con, to get this down narrowly because it would take, because there's a lot right here I'd love to share and I've done it before. But um, I, I do want to say that um, I feel like it's an opportunity um, for me every day to work for him. Colossians 3.23, do you work hardly for the Lord rather than for men? I'm sitting at church on Sunday. It's hard for me to sit. I want to be up here on stage with my pastor. <laughs> you know, if Kim's husband's up there, I want to go up there and talk with him. because I. So therefore, I have to wait for Monday morning. And I love Monday morning. I love Tuesday morning. I love every other day of the week. Sunday is just fuel for me because I'm going to go in Monday and um, I'm going to be Jeff White, a Christian, a man who loves Jesus, who just happens to, to um, have 85 people or so working for me. And I can be who I want to be with that. So what do I do? How do I, how do I make that work? And, you know, Matthew 16, 24 says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Uh-oh. Take up his cross. <laughs> and take up his cross <laughs> and follow me. So, you know, take up the cross, is it 16 hours a day? Is it 8? Is it 12? How many hours are in a day? 24. Why would I want to waste the 8 hours at work and not do anything? And I said, you know what? It's 24 hours. Um, that's, that's a high calling for us all to do that 24 hours. Um, Ephesians 4.1 says, Paul says, I implore you. And that's a pretty hard uh, mm -hmm. Testament study professor. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a pretty strong word. It'll right? work. It's, not, it's not encouraging. That's you. right. <laughs> He's imploring you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Okay, so I'm going to walk in a manner worthy, but I'm not going to start at work, right? I've got to make sure at home I'm doing it right. Okay? And I wasn't doing it right for a while, I can tell you. My, my wife had to take me out to dinner and say, you know, your girls don't really want to be around you because you don't have enough patience for them or, or whatever. So I said, okay. <laughs> oh, I'm a great businessman, but just don't look at home. You know, they, 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 they tell you you can't be an elder or anything in a church if you, if you ain't doing it right at home. I said, God, help me to be that man I've been called to be. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all you do be done in love. That's my new life verse. I took that to heart. And now I need to teach other men. Um, if you're over 40, you better be mentoring somebody. I'm over 50. So, <laughs> um, so and that's, that's, a, that's a calling of mine, too, is to mentor. So I take that, um, uh, my cross up every day. And I'm excited about Monday morning. I'm going to be, I am what I am. Paul says that too. I am what I am by the grace of God. So if you, I mean, we're in a room full of people who plan to teach in the church. What advice would you give to them as they think about addressing uh, people like you in, in the pew? Uh, and uh, what, what can the church do better to, to help you 
be the person you want to be as you work from Monday to Friday. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of meat on the bone in Scripture, is there not? Can we get real? Can we talk about things that nobody wants to talk about? I mean, what kind of church is this? The fluff, the fluff, the fluff? You know, I'm a man. My girls know that if something comes on TV that daddy shouldn't look at, I'm going to turn. If a girl's not dressed right, if a, you know, or um, if I'm not treating some, you know, someone as I would want to be treated, Luke 6.31. I mean, it, it's, it's very important that we walk the walk um, and not just talk the talk. What would, uh, what would you want pastors to understand about what you do from day to day that, that they sometimes don't address in the pulpit but could? I, I, really, want, I really want to understand how to, how to a life applicable, Dr. Hendricks, observation, <laughs> interpretation, <laughs> application. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to miss one there. Um, teach, teach us how to apply his word you know as as i approach someone who is really really different than me you know um if i run into someone who's jewish and doesn't believe that the messiah has come how do i interact with that person um how do i interact with someone who is living the homosexual lifestyle you know, and I think a lot of that for me, I just, you know, I look at it in three ways. I want to know how to live my life, how to love well, and how to lead. So live, love, and lead mm. would be the three things I want, I want to make sure that I'm doing right. Mm. So teach me how to do those things. Mm. Uh, one final question, and that is, um, as you think about um, what you do at your work, you said, yeah, as you said, you had how many people work for you? 80, is it 85? 85. I, I wish I had 100. I'm understaffed. So. <laughs> Anyone come looking on. for work? Yeah, come on. Come on. Uh, so uh, how, do, how, do you, how do you view your care of them? I've heard, I've heard some people who are managers in business say, things, say two things about pastors. I wish pastors sometimes would visit me at my work so they could understand what I do from day to day. And the second thing that I hear is, is that the people that I am responsible for, that I minister to, are like my flock. I'm there to care for them. Um, I guess what I'm asking you is, how do, how do those two pieces of advice uh, strike you as, as ways to help you do what you're doing from, from day to day? I can't believe this, but I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to, to read this, but I'm going to read a quote if anybody wants to tell me who it is after you get uh, an extra five Chick-fil-A cards. So I mean, <laughs> you can tell me whose quote this is. And, and this is about, this is, how do I do that? I make sure I manage my time and I, I control my plate. Okay, so I'm already got, I know what's going to go on my plate for 2016. The first thing that goes on my plate every year is the word no. Okay, I say no. That's what good leaders do. They know when to say no. Because I want my time focused on my people, my family, and my people who work for me. If anything has kept me on track all these years, it is being skewered to this principle of central focus. There are many things I can do, but I must narrow it down to the one thing I must do. The secret to concentration is elimination. Only do 
what only you can do because the less you do, the more you accomplish. The less I'm doing in my restaurants from the day-to-day -day tasks, things that I used to do in the, old, in the old days, the business is too complex now. Andy Stanley actually took this from Dr. Hendricks mm -hmm. and he made that big. So this is Dr. Hendricks' quote. And I was, was blessed to spend many lunches with him over the years at my restaurant. And I, I knew him well. I was with him the Friday before he, he went home. But that right there is huge because if I do a few things, I don't want to say, I'm, this is humble. If I do a few things great, I'd, I'd rather do that than do quite a few things good. The, the enemy of great is, is good. Um, so control my plate and take time. When it's time to go in my restaurants, I, I try to answer as many emails as I possibly can. Kayla can tell me who's right there. It's like, I don't have much time because I'm getting pulled in different directions by team members and customers and this and that. So I've had to be very particular about my time and my calendar is very important to me. Hmm. Okay, we've got uh, mics here at the side. So if you have questions for either of us related to faith and work or, or things you want to ask about, uh, the video. I'd, we'd love to entertain those, so feel free to come forward. Let me um, keep going here while we've we've got the time, and that is, um, as you as you think about people who are, in many cases, although if you look in the room, you'll see people of all kinds of ages. But as you as you think through people of a variety of uh, ages here, but particularly a lot of young people, what what advice would you give them uh, starting out where they are? Well, first of all, we need you. <laughs> we need you. Just like it is, we, don't, don't think you can't change the city. Just like, the, just like it said. Me, I, I mean, just, I had a vision of this project I got going on. It's gonna happen this March 26th. I think, me, is it really? Yeah, I'm gonna have, I'm meeting with the chief of police of Dallas Monday morning, okay? Me, yeah because I'm gonna have an event scheduled already um, with Chick-fil-A and the Dallas Police Department and it's gonna be huge. And um, it happened just by getting people around me uh, and uh, getting the vision for what I wanted to make it happen. Um, so, so what are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, um, a Chick-fil-A uh, Connect race and it's mm -hmm. a, it's a um, it's going to be a 1K fun run, a 5K, and a 10K. It's going to benefit a nonprofit organization called Operation Blue Shield, which, mm -hmm. which brings the citizens and business leaders of a city together with law enforcement to create safe neighborhoods. So mm -hmm. this is going to raise money for that. Mm -hmm. But we're going to have um, I'm partnering with Concord Church in mm -hmm. South Dallas. Mm -hmm. My pastor and uh, Jeff Warren from Park City Baptist, they've already been swapping pulpits. Mm -hmm. You know, and so we're going to bring those churches in. We're going to have black and whites serving police officers at Bachman Lake on March 26th. Mm. And um, I'm going to have Chick-fil-A cows there. We're going to be, uh, it's going to look like a Chick-fil-A race and Plains Capital is helping out. It's, it's like, is this really happening? Yeah, it is. So, so are Chick-fil-A cows really fast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, they, if, they, if we're not eating more chicken, they are really fast. Yeah. All right, over here, Casey. Mentoring is very important to you. What, 
what, are, what is your approach to mentoring and what are those mentoring relationships look like throughout the store? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not gonna, and in, in mentoring somebody is not gonna take up too much of my calendar because I was a very feel for that. I don't wanna have the pressure of every Monday or every whatever it is, you know. Um, so it's a matter of just spending some time with somebody, but what I've done is I've taken the last four of my um, employees came to a voluntary Bible study because I'm an employer. Oh, don't tell the government that I um, have a Bible study going on. But I took them through Stu Weber's book, Four Pillars of a Man's Heart. And we have videos and, it's, and there were four of us and now I'm gonna have probably seven or eight this go around in mid-January. So, and I actually put it on my plate every Tuesday morning from 9.30 to 11 for eight months. We did it and went through um, every chapter. And um, as Andy Stanley says, if you're over 40, you better be mentoring somebody, um, male and female. So th that for me is just spending time with them and ju really just um, allowing God to um, speak through me to these guys. Because I have a lot of, um, anybody can say they have experience as a married man or anything, but anybody can say, I have experience with that. Well, I have evaluated experience with that. I evaluate my life and I'm very transparent. And um, I want people to, um, I'm, I'm ready for criticism. So that's very important. I'm transparent and vulnerable. Um, so they, they see where I failed in my marriages and my fatherhood and all those kinds of things. I had my wife come to the very last meeting and she kind of shared with them how I, I have changed. So if, if we're called to be Christ-like, we need to be sanctified and we need to be taking the stuff off, all the sin that so easily entangles us and fix our eyes on Jesus. So just spending time. So how, how do you, um, you talked about your family. You said you had three girls, I think he's 16. How old? 16 to yeah. 12, right? 16, 14, and 12. 16, 14. How did you do that? That's exactly two years apart. That's nice. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so, so you, you said becoming a Christian changed not just you and the way you work, but also your family life. How did, what, what did it do to your family life? Yeah. Um, you want me to cry right now? No. <laughs> um, Kayla's, Kayla knows a lot of it, um, or some of it. And the reason why I say that, Kayla works for me. She's my brand new marketing director, her first event. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it, it, it made me uh, realize how short, how, fall, how I was falling short at home. God opened my eyes and says, hey, you want me to... You want to see who you are? Mm -hmm. you, you dive in my word. Mm -hmm. The word's here. No, I like the paper version. The word's here. You better spend time with me and allow me to speak to you through your word. And you better be um, ready for um, criticism for your wife because she's going to help me. You know, she was, she, we were putting this marriage together. She's, she, and I hear people say this all the time, but she really is smarter than me, really. Um, but we have different types of wisdom, and we just work off each other that way. She tells me when to be quiet, I'm talking too much to the girls. Um, but being transparent is really one of the biggest things, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, what does the culture tell a man you gotta be? Strong, right? Forget that. Strong, strong mentally and, and physically is, I don't, I don't care less about that. It's all about being spiritually strong for your family. Because this world, the main problem with this whole world is fatherlessness. Mm. I was home, but I wasn't sp 
spiritually there. I was physically there, but not spiritually there. But now I'm leading good enough, as Dr. Hendricks' son said <laughs> at his um, um, funeral. You know, his, his son said Dr. Hendricks always struggled. He thought he wasn't the, the best dad he could have been because he traveled a lot. And then his son says he was good enough. Mm. So I just want to be a good enough dad. Mm. Go ahead. Hey, I'm Mikey. Hey, Mikey. Hey, Mikey. Um, so in my hometown, there isn't a place for kids to have fun. There's no place for like, you know, like a Chuck E. Cheese's or a, anything where kids can go and just have fun besides like McDonald's. Um, <laughs> what would be your advice for someone who may have a dream of starting something like that in a city? Mm. Yeah, what are you passionate about? Providing places for kids to have fun. <laughs> All right. Okay, so that's going to take an entrepreneurial spirit, okay? What can you do? And where are you from? Baytown. Baytown. Right oh, wow. Okay. Baytown, that's right, close to where I grew up. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not, really, I think Truett Cathy is the, the real entrepreneur here. All I did was inherit a business, and I'm kind of taking my, put my own spin on it, but you're going to have to come up with, with something that you feel, because once you, once you have fun, you'll never work a day in your life. You know, I don't ever work, I don't work anymore. I have so much fun. So you need to do what you love to do. I shouldn't say love. That's agape. I don't want to, you know, like. <laughs> you, know, you got to be careful when you say love. You got to be, I want to be very purposeful. But like, you got to like what you do. You got to like what you do. So. Uh, that's not as an answer. As far as franchises, do you do you think it's better to go for a franchise or is it to start your own thing? I, I'm extremely um, biased to Chick Fil A. I, I love Chick Fil A. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I mean, you Chick Fil A is different. We're gonna we put in where we Chick Fil A will buy the land and so forth. Um, but I think Chick Fil A is the best kept secret in the restaurant industry, without a doubt, or any business for that matter. Yeah, so no. I would I would try to be a Chick Fil A operator. You know, I think explain explain ex explain the difference between an operator and a franchise. Well, can you do that? Uh, it's it's the same thing. I, I know. Uh, we just became franchisees this year. Oh, okay. Okay, so okay. I, I'm a corporation, J. White Restaurant Enterprises. Okay. So. Whoa. But Chick but the, <laughs> the IRS says the IRS says one thing, a different part of the government says another thing. Uh -huh. Chick Fil A's made it through all that stuff, uh -huh. and we're okay. So. Chick-fil-A operator is our original title, okay. and now we're considered franchisees okay. because they need to continue to separate corporate from us because there's been a lot of legal things going oh, on. Oh, wow. So I'm a huh. franchisee now. Oh, wow. But I still... Welcome to the party. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. But, but you, um, you part, part of what you do is, is to say that you want to have people have an experience at the restaurant. So that's, that's more than just... You know, walking up, ordering your food, and and having something to eat. How do you how do you do that part of the business? Yeah, three three parts to that. Um, it's operational excellence. You you walk in the door, and we want to give you the basics. You know, good food, served quickly in a clean environment with attentive and courteous team members. Um, we we want that to be which is actually a lot more than a lot, of other, a lot of other places do if we can do all that on one in one shot um, and it very, it's very difficult to find people that want to serve guests because it's really hard Kayla <laughs> could I give you many stories um, that's the first part just that's the basics to me and then you got this other pillar of the business 
called Second Mile Service based on uh, Matthew 541. If someone forces you to go to one mile, go with him too. You know, we want to anticipate, anticipate guest needs. I see a mom in the parking lot with a couple of kids and this and that. Go out there and help her. Let's anticipate needs. And then the last thing is emotional connections marketing, which is exactly what I'm doing right here. My goal is for you guys to be emotionally connected to Chick-fil-A. And you're going, to, it's going to, you're going to know that it's more than a, it is more than a chicken sandwich now. It's all about souls, and it's all about me walking into my business and caring very much about that person that's washing the dishes or breading that chicken. I have a, um, I love my people. I know every one of them by name. Um, so that's basically whatever question you ask me. I guess the answer. <laughs> Ramey. Yeah, I'd like to, um, I'd love for you to kind of take us inside your thought process on uh, a couple of things. But one, as you're deciding for, you know, 2016 coming up and how you're going to reach community or serve, really, the people around you, Christians and non-Christians, kind of what that looks like when you're strategizing with your team for the year. And then two, just, you know, maybe you can't answer this, but what, kind of, what percentage of profits does Chick-fil-A give away? I mean, you guys give away tons of stuff. I've never met a Chick-fil-A person that wasn't handing you something. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's unusual in business. You know, if you go to return a product half the time, people won't take it back, you know? Yeah. And, and so I think you guys are, are a light even just uh, for a consumer. Um, yeah. But then, and then some, what are some of the impacts of that? So, yeah. yeah, that you've seen in your life. Yeah. Um, would you repeat that first part? Because... Um, I, I went back on the yeah, <laughs> maybe like 2016, kind of, and you're strategizing how yeah. are we going to serve the people around us, the city of Dallas, maybe this yeah. police thing. Um, what, is, what does that look like to sit around a table and have a conversation? Mm -hmm. To what, what level of profits are you guys actually giving away in doing that service? Because that's something that's hard for people to think about. That's sacrificial. Yeah. And then three, and yet you're going to be debt free this year, you said, oh, yeah. Chick fil A corporate. So, and three, what are some of the impacts you've seen from that uh, in your lifetime? Yeah, so 20. 2016 for me is going to be, um, again, very controlled. Um, but I want to really um, take this race that I've got going, and I want to make it market-wide, Dallas-Fort Worth next year, and then I hope it goes nationwide to where Chick-fil-A's putting on races like this where we're bringing um, the blacks, whites, yellow, well, whatever, all of us, right, mm -hmm. together because if, if, we, if we can take it back just a little bit of our country back, um, the rest of it hopefully will continue on that way because it's not good right now. Um, so I'm in this for I'm in this for the long haul. I don't want to I don't want to leave here until it's time for me to live as Christ to die as gain. Yeah, but man, we are put here to do a job. Um, that's why the Lord is not slow about His promise, is He? He hasn't come back yet because he wants more people to come to know him. So my whole deal on 2016 is, again, is winning souls for the Christ through chicken. The quickest way to someone's um, heart is through their stomach, true it says. <laughs> so, um, you know, as far as giving away stuff and what it, what it costs, courtesy is cheap, but it pays great dividends. You know, food is really not that expensive to give away. Um, it's, the, it's writing the checks and not showing up. I'd rather not do that. Um, I'd rather do this, where I'm delivering food and talking and mixing with the community. And when, when guests come in, um, I know a lot of them by name. And, it's hard, and I know a lot of faces and, and, uh, and so forth. So it, it is about um, 
I know a lot of, I, I just know a lot of customers that are hurting. So I want to continue to, to give as much as I possibly can. And I don't, I don't count anything I give through the restaurant because it is, it is part of the profits. Um, whatever I bring home, that's when it starts. You know, you can start keeping tabs on it. But um, I, I, I don't, gen generosity, I, I wrote a whole paper um, <laughs> on uh, giving and generosity because I, it's, it's what I want to do. I want to be very generous, number one, with my time. So. So in working with like high school, college, and adults, like what, what advice would you give for them, I know you spoke about passion, things like that. How would you diagnose or draw out for either one of you in working with college, young adults, high school students, in which to, to say how to do this type of redemptive work? Yeah, I think every work's redemptive. Yeah. And no, nothing is, everyone has an important, everyone is a leader. I don't care what, what your um, state, of, state of being is and what kind of situation you come from. But we're, we are all called to make a difference. Yeah, we did a podcast today with Bill Hendricks on giftedness. And I think young people in particular, as they hit high school, college, they're thinking about what to do with their lives, to understand who they are as people, the way God has made them, what makes them tick, uh, what drives them, that kind of thing, to kind of, in a serious way, put them in touch with themselves. Uh, anything you can do to make that happen put them in touch with themselves and with God, and then in the midst of that, to ha have them uh, discover what the way God has made them that will make them uh, useful in terms of the way they go about their lives. Um, that's what you want to instill, I think, in, in young people. And they have an opportunity for uh, negotiating life and, and finding those places that sometimes is a little harder to do when you're further along in life because of the circumstances that life has you in. So anything that you can do to encourage young people to think through their potential and what their giftedness is. Everyone is given unique set of traits that, that they're designed to contribute to a creation through and with. That's what you want to do. Got time for one more question. And I let see me, it right let here. me yeah. add on that because I think it's very important. Love. These young people need love. They don't have parents at home together. They might have parents separate, but a lot of them, I have a, a lot that work for me. They need love, and, but they need to be taught respect and honor and, and all of those things because they haven't been taught it at home. Um, I work with Young Life at North Dallas High School. Mm -hmm. There are homeless kids that go to school there. Mm -hmm. um, I bring some of my leaders there um, that are only several years older than them. And they're seeing this guy who works for me, who made the right decisions, now has insurance and he's making money and he's married and he has a job. Don't go this route. So I bring my people with me who can really um, relate to them. But they got to see that the decisions they make today matter for the rest of their lives. So uh, you're a pastor and you're trying to minister to somebody uh, who's in a job that maybe they don't like. Uh, but they have, and they have it for stability or maybe for the benefits. How do you help that person see um, their work is, uh, you know, their ministry and helping the economy of God uh, when it's something that they just, it's like a nine to five to them? How, what can you do to sort of bridge that gap between it's what I do and I can do this as a service to God? Yeah, well, first of all, I would say pray. Pray, pray, pray. 
pray, if this is not where I'm supposed to be, Lord, take me out. I wanted to be, go, to be taken out of the restaurant business if I had to be. Show me what I need to do. But I'm wired for the restaurant business. I can't, I can't be in a cubicle. I can't be anywhere. I have to be up walking around doing things. So pray first. And if, maybe it is the right job for them. Maybe they just need to get the right attitude. But they're going to have to find that out for themselves. Um, I don't think there's any excuses whatsoever. You go to work, you do the best you can, and look for a job when you get off. Um, so, you know, look for a different job and so forth. But do your best you can um, where you're at, because um, that's what God will want you to do. Yeah, I, I like to say to people, there are very few jobs that don't matter. Um, and, and I use this illustration to kind of get you to think along these terms. I, I eat Wheaties in the morning, okay? Breakfast of champions, all right? So, uh, sorry, that wasn't Chick-fil-A, but anyway. Uh, yeah, but, um, so, what does it take for you to have your Wheaties in the morning? Just think about that. Think of all the levels of what that involves. There's the people who grow the grain. There's the people who make the boxes. There's the people who make the wrappers in the boxes. There's the people who truck the material from one place to another. There are people who build the roads so the truck can go from one place to another. There's the people who work in the grocery store. There are the people who stock the shelves, etc. The only reason you're able to have Wheaties in the morning is mm. because all those people have done something mm. that contributes something of value so that you can take that spoon, dip it into that dish, and pull those Wheaties into your mouth and have nourishment in the morning. And I think, I think just thinking about that makes you appreciate the way God has designed the world. He's designed the world in such a way that people do make contributions that on the surface may not seem to be that significant, will never be on CNN, will never be on Fox mm -hmm. News, but, but it, makes, it, it contributes to your quality of life in one way or another. And I think if people come to appreciate that the job that they do facilitates that ability. I mean, think, uh, you know, I could ask the question, make make more relevant in your marketing department, we'll be happy if I do. What does it take to have a Chick-fil-A sandwich, you know, mm -hmm. during the day? And what are all the steps that it takes people, some of whom work for Chick-fil-A and some of whom don't, okay? But that, that sandwich is able, you know, you were able to have that meal tonight because Thousands of people did their job. That's part of what you want to communicate to people because you're trying to communicate the value of the work that they do. And work, when it's done well, is essentially service. And that's what can help people appreciate. They think they're doing a mundane job, but in fact, they're contributing to an Oikonomia, okay, not oikonomia, okay, but oikonomia, okay, that, that, is, that, is, that is an economy and a way of doing things that makes, makes life more pleasant than it would be uh, otherwise. I think we take far too much of life, far too granted, too much for granted, and in the process we lose our appreciation for the way God designed the world in which we live in. Our time is up. Uh, Ramey, I think you've got some things you want to do, so the floor is yours. Let's thank Jeff for his time. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.
This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.